Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. Yeah, welcome. We are first Sunday of January and um, going to be just digging into some scripture together this morning and this morning, this afternoon, seeing what um, comes to us. So before I start, um, the kids have gone out and the youth, did, is there someone on the youth? Oh, they're just going to like, I, I was preparing, actually I didn't prepare this with the youth in mind at all and then I was like, oh, but anyway, all right, there's no youth here either, we can relax. Let's just take a moment, um, take a deep breath in, deep breath out, just gather yourself to yourself, gather yourself to God. And as we read the words of scripture this afternoon, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would um, bring things to the surface for each one of us, that there would be words and phrases that we need to hear that would encourage us, that would hold us, that would lead us forward. And so give us ears to hear what you're saying to us this afternoon, Spirit of God. Amen. Well, our um, scripture passages for this first Sunday after Epiphany, yesterday was Epiphany, which is the um, celebration of when the wise men came to Jesus and then we, we enter the, the season of Epiphany. But our passages of scripture for today are Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 5 and Psalm 29, and Mark chapter 1, verses 4 to 11, and then Acts 19, 1 to 7. So I'm not going to read all of them. I'm going to read a bit from Genesis, a little bit of the Psalm, and then the Gospel and the New Testament reading. And then we're going to go back and just have a look and see. Um, I'm going to share some things that have jumped out to me as I've just been reflecting on these scriptures this week. So we start at the beginning of the year, right at the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was barren with no form of life. It was under a roaring ocean covered with darkness. But the Spirit of God was moving over the water. Psalm 29 begins, All you angels in heaven, honour the glory and power of the Lord. Honour the wonderful name of the Lord and worship the Lord most holy and glorious. The voice of the Lord echoes over the oceans. The glorious Lord God thunders above the roar of the raging sea, and his voice is mighty and marvelous. Mark chapter 1. So John the Baptist showed up in the desert and told everyone, Turn back to God and be baptized, then your sins will be forgiven. From all Judea and Jerusalem, crowds of people went to John. They told how sorry they were for their sins and he baptized them in the Jordan River. John wore clothes made of camel's hair, 
He had a leather strap around his waist and ate grasshoppers and wild honey. John also told the people, someone more powerful is going to come and I am not good enough even to stoop down and untie his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. About that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As soon as Jesus came out of the water, he saw the sky open and the Holy Spirit coming down to him like a dove. A voice from heaven said, you are my own dear son and I am pleased with you. And Acts chapter 19, one to seven. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled across the hill country to Ephesus where he met some of the Lord's followers. He asked them, when you put your faith in Jesus, were you given the Holy Spirit? No, they answered. We have never, never even heard of the Holy Spirit. Then why were you baptized, Paul asked. And they answered, because of what John taught. Paul replied, John baptized people so they would turn to God. But he also told them someone else was coming and they should put their faith in him. Jesus is the one that John was talking about. After the people heard Paul say this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Paul placed his hands on them. The Holy Spirit was given to them and they spoke in unknown languages and prophesied. There are about 12 men in this group. So these are our passages for today and I'm going to go back starting with Genesis and just pull out some thoughts that I've had, some connections that I've made about water and spirit and birds. So we start in a beginning, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and this Genesis chapter one is a poem, it's a poem about beginnings, um, but it's mostly a poem about God because while there is a lot that's going on in this poem, it's mainly about what God is doing and God is doing everything in this poem. Um, a couple of years ago, we sat in Genesis chapter 1 for about a month. It was in the middle of COVID and it was a little bit messy, but we had Padre Gotuma, who's an Irish poet and the host of Ong Bean's Poetry Unbound podcast, unpack Genesis chapter 1 for us as a poet. Um, and if you haven't listened to that, it's probably in the podcast archive somewhere. And it's really uh, worth listening to just to hear someone who sits with words and languages unpack this ancient Hebrew poem about beginnings. But we start in the beginning and in verse 2 it says, um, the earth was barren and formless. And in Hebrew, that, those two words that talk about the earth is barren and formless are the words tohu and bohu. So there's this very resonant, poetic, sounding nature to this line that the earth was tohu and bohu. And it's kind of bringing up, you know, kind of like rhyming language that we would have like topsy-turvy or ping-pong or helter-skelter. It's like playing on words, this tohu and bohu, that the earth was like this. And the word tohu means formless. It means confusion. It means unreality 
And the word bohu means emptiness. And so the poet is giving us this picture of the earth that is blank and chaotic and confused and empty, like a void. In the, um, the CEV language that we've got there, it talks about that it was under a roaring ocean covered with darkness. Like that's strong poetic language, like very visual imagery of a beginning. That it was under an roaring ocean covered with darkness. And that word darkness means like extraordinary darkness or like cosmic darkness. It's not just like it was a little bit dark outside. It's like essential darkness is this place. And that word roaring ocean is the Hebrew word tehom, which we see come through the scriptures, often translated the deep or the abyss. And so we have all of this language, tohu, bohu, darkness, abyss, like very poetic, very descriptive, giving us this picture of vast, void, chaotic nothingness. This is the beginning. The, the Hebrew people were not a, a seafaring people. They were a land-based land people. Occasionally they crossed some rivers, we know that. But essentially they were not travellers across oceans. And so in their kind of cultural uh, imagination, the sea and the oceans were the places of chaos and monsters and mystery and unknown because it was like so vast to them and they were not used to building boats and traveling across oceans. So the oceans and sea, whenever you see those in scripture, they often evoke chaos and, you know, kind of mythic nature of mystery and things that are unknown. And this is the picture that we're getting in Genesis chapter 1. Vastness, unknown, fathomless oceans of darkness. But, or perhaps, and, over this emptiness, the breath of God is moving. Again, what a poetic image we have of like the Ruach, the spirit, the breath of God is moving over this vastness, this emptiness. But that word that talks about the breath of God moving, it's not just moving. It evokes the idea of hovering, like the spirit of God is hovering over the waters it also can mean brooding, not in the moody teenage you know, sense, but that idea of a bird that broods over its nest, that patient waiting, that kind of like hovering and nurturing and waiting for life to come forth. That's what this, this word means, like a, like a bird over its eggs. The spirit is brooding patiently over this darkness, this deep, this abyss keeping her eggs warm, waiting for life to emerge. The spirit is hovering over like a bird would hover over its hatchlings with food, waiting to drop this food into those little birds' mouths to sustain them and feed them and nurture them. That's what this, these words mean. The spirit, the breath, God hovering, God brooding, God waiting God calling forth life out of the emptiness. 
So we see, we see water, we see spirit, we see birds in this, this poetic verse, chapter 2. And these images, they kind of capture our attention right from the beginning of Scripture. And because I, I personally don't think that Genesis chapter 1 is either science nor history, I think it, it's telling us something about God. It's telling us something about the way God is. It's telling us something about who God is and how God behaves. This is not just, in my opinion, about something that once happened, but I think it invites us to consider that this is always the work of the breath of God, the Spirit. That the breath and the Spirit of God are always hovering over places of emptiness, places of darkness, places of confusion and chaos. And God is always calling forth life, brooding over those places, waiting for life to emerge. I think that's good news for those of us who feel like we've got parts or pockets of our lives or people around us who we recognize there's chaos and there's confusion there's emptiness and there's void around us. It's comforting to know that God is a God who hovers and broods and calls forth life. Our readings take us into Psalm 29 where again we hear the voice of the Lord echoes over the oceans. The glorious Lord God thunders above the roar of the raging sea and his voice is mighty and marvelous. And from there, we find ourselves in Mark chapter 1 on the banks of the Jordan River as John the wild man dressed in camel skin and eating grasshoppers and honey is baptizing people. He's immersing people in the potentially clean, possibly dirty waters of the Jordan River as an act of ritual cleansing to invite them to turn from their sins and to turn back from God. The idea of washing or cleansing as a kind of ritual is not new, it's not unusual, it's cultural and appropriate. Does it always happen with some kind of full immersion in some kind of river? I think that was unusual. But to the Hebrew people, to wash, to cleanse, um, to make yourself clean before God, that was, that was a thing. But here we have John, a prophetic voice in the wilderness, calling people to repent, to turn back to God. And when I, I, I hear those words that John was saying to the people, I think about our Genesis text where it says that the breath of God hovered over the face of the waters. And I wonder if we're meant to hear a kind of connection between the, the breath of God that's always facing the waters and our call from John to return to face God again. And I wonder if we're meant to hear that we have turned our face away from God Almighty and in our repentance we're turning our face back to the one whose face was never, ever turned from us. But the face of God is always hovering over us. It's we who sometimes turn away. 
And so John calls people to repentance, the act of turning around again, to face back to God. And he gives a promise in his words, not only of water, but also of spirit, that there will be some kind of immersion in spirit as well as water. Like the spirit hovered over the waters. We are going to immerse ourselves in the waters and the spirit. And so Jesus comes to where John is. And I, um, it's quite a remarkable passage of scripture when you think of it because there's this sense that Jesus is clearly unbothered by being another man in the queue, repenting of sins he likely never committed and being seen as just a fellow person turning back to God. God turning back to God. That's an interesting thing. But Jesus stands in line and he comes to John and he too is baptized by John. And I think about that picture of Jesus sharing in our humanity and in my mind the the words, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might know the righteousness of God. They echo in my mind as I think about this scripture about Jesus being baptized for the repentance of sins. And so he's washed in the waters of the River Jordan and as he rises up from the river, the spirit descends on him like a dove. A few thoughts I have about this passage of scripture. When we read it in Mark, there's, you know, different accounts of the baptism of Jesus. Mark is the most concise, no spare words. Um, Not much around the edges when you read Mark. And so even in this account of Jesus' baptism, it's just very frank Uh, We don't get any sense of what was happening before, nor any afterwards. It's just like a boom. Jesus, I don't know, maybe he lines up, maybe he walks into the water, John dunks him, off you go, thanks, and, you know. So it's slim pickings in Mark to sort of, you know, read too much around the text. One of the things that does interest me is nowhere in our passage of Scripture does it indicate that anybody other than Jesus saw the heavens split open and the spirit descend like a dove and nobody else heard the voice of God saying, this is my son. It doesn't say that the crowds were amazed by a voice booming from heaven. And I'm presuming that much like today, that even back then, if there was an audible voice booming from heaven with a crowd of people standing in a river, that would would be news. And there would be a lot of like, talk about that. But nowhere does it indicate that anybody else heard or saw what Jesus heard or saw. It just says that as he came up out of the river, he saw heaven opened, the spirit descending like a dove, and heard a voice. The reason I think that maybe it was only Jesus that experienced this is because we know from later on when we read our other Gospels that John ends up in prison And at a pretty low point in his life before he's about to be beheaded, he sends messengers to Jesus to say, are you the one? Are you the one? Or should we wait for someone else? Now, I don't know about you, but if I was John and I've baptized a few people, nobody has had a voice from heaven, a dove or, you know, anything like that. If that happened to someone I baptised, I would be fairly convinced there is something special about this one. But John seems largely perplexed about whether or not Jesus is the one. 
Which kind of makes me think, maybe John didn't hear what Jesus heard, nor saw what Jesus saw. Because that would be pretty convincing to me. I also think it would be really convincing to the crowds of people around that all of a sudden, like if, you, if that happened to you, you'd probably have an instant, at least 50 followers. Let's go with 50. 50. 50 men looking for the next big thing on the side of the Jordan River. But there is no indication that after this event, anybody thought Jesus was anything. And in fact, Jesus just disappears into the desert for 40, 40 days and he's basically unknown. So I think this was just something Jesus perceived Something between God the Father and Jesus the Son. And I like that idea. You know why? Because it tells me that Jesus had to learn what it was like to hear and see God in his heart and mind in the same way that you and I have to learn how to perceive and know the voice of God and the heart of God for ourselves too. That somehow Jesus experienced this thing. And no, maybe nobody else did, but he held on to it. And I think that there's times in each one of our lives that we know God kind of speaks to us. Maybe nobody else around us knows or saw or heard or has any perception about something special, but we know Jesus had that too. I I think there's something special about that. There's something comforting about that, that just like you and I, Jesus had to learn how to hear the voice of the Father. And while it's written in somewhat spectacular form in this sense, maybe it just happened for Jesus and it wasn't some manifesting phenomena. We can disagree about that and that's okay. But they're just my thoughts on this little passage. The other thing I I really like about this this scene, this picture, is, um, is the dove that the Spirit of God, it says, descends like a dove. Um, Now, that's a simile, right? Archie could tell us that. Like a is a simile. It doesn't mean there was a dove. Maybe there was. But again, it's like we're trying to conjure up words to describe what the Spirit is like. And Jesus sees the Spirit like a dove. um, Descending. I mean, I don't know if you've pictured this scene in your mind. Have you seen it in a movie? Have you, like, have you pictured this scene? So, like, I've got a couple of artworks that, you know, one old, one new. This one on that way, is that the left? Is that, yeah, the left. That's um, Piero della Francesca from 1450, so an ancient kind of artwork. I mean, it's very, look at it, it's clean. He's not even in the river. It's not even a river. It's a, is that a pond? I don't even think that's a pond. I think it's a puddle. Um, is <laughs> I know, I know there's problems with this. There's a lot of art. Like, I'm, I appreciate the problems. But, you know, look at that. Can you see the dove? It looks, you know, it's, look, it's just amazing. That pure, white, perfectly horizontally, you know, hovering dove. It's glorious. That dove is even whiter than Jesus. Just, you know, just saying. And the other artwork on the right there is a more modern one um, by Dave Zelenka. Again, um, they look like they're in the ocean there, some waves. But again, we have this image of this white dove. Jesus can't see it because he's got his eyes closed, but, you know, seeing it in his heart. <laughs> we have these, these images of, you know, th- this scene. And uh, they're good. But I, I was hearing recently, and I, I looked into this, that the, the Greek word for dove is 
peristera. It's also the word for pigeon. And in fact, there is no distinction between a dove and a pigeon in this place in time. It could equally say, and a pigeon descended from the heavens upon Jesus, which would conjure up a whole different kind of thing for us, right? Sarah, you're loving this. This is all about birds. I know that, but like, you can look up birds of the Bible. It's a thing. People have researched. And, you know, in, in, in Judea, in Jerusalem, in, in this Israeli territory at that time, there were turtle doves and there were Palestinian rock pigeons. And this is what they looked like. That's what they looked like. Not white, pristine doves. They look a lot more like pigeons to me. So when Jesus says, and I saw heaven opened and a peristera descending, this is what in his mind he's picturing. I mean, we have the white dove bit because I don't know where we got that from, somewhere else. (laughs) But we have that. But this is what Jesus would have been picturing God-like. I don't know about you, but pigeons are far from the most glamorous birds in the world. They are so ordinary, so ordinary. I actually went for a walk with our dog Barney yesterday, came across five pigeons. They were just hopping around on the road. I walked past with them. They didn't even bother to fly away. They just kind of like hopped through the school fence. I was like, ugh, so unglamorous. And again, like this is my speculation and you're, you're free to read the scriptures and wrestle with them yourselves. But I think one of the reasons we, we know uh, or we have written down what happened at Jesus' baptism is that I think most likely at some point Jesus' friends and followers asked him, what happened when you were baptised, Jesus? And he, he, he told them, this is what happened. I... I went into the waters. I was baptized by John. I felt heaven open. Saw the spirit descending like a dove. I heard a voice say to me, you are my son with whom I'm well pleased. So we have this account, not perhaps because the crowds around saw and heard it themselves, but because it meant so much to Jesus. And he told people about it. And of all the birds he could have chosen... He chose a pigeon. I find that amazing. He could have said, and an eagle soared over me. Like that would be more majestic, but it would also be so much more distant. He could have said, and an owl woke up and hooted from above. I don't know. He could have picked an owl. There are owls in the Bible far more wise and you know kind of animal than a pigeon there are peacocks mentioned in the bible he could have chosen a peacock that's a good looking bird if there ever was one he could have said and as i came up from the waters a peacock (laughs) peacocks fly not spectacularly but you know he could have but he didn't choose any of those birds he said a pigeon a dove a pigeon a rock pigeon An ordinary bird, a bird that's found everywhere. It's common, ignorable, annoying, more likely to 
poo on your head than in spark, than spark like deep, holy thoughts. But Jesus chooses this unspectacular, ordinary, awkward, common bird. Spirit of God is like that. Much like later on, he'll tell us the kingdom of God is like a weed. It's like yeast. Ordinary, everyday, common things. Is God in the spectacular breath of God hovering over the abyss? Yes. Is God also a pigeon that lands on our heads? Yes. God is both in the ordinary and the spectacular. This artwork is a common one that you see come in on different social medias on this day, if you're into religious art. <laughs> I like this because it, it links both of these things together for us because there we have Jesus, the Son of God, hovering over the waters, just like the Ruach of God hovered. And we have the Spirit descending. Looks more dove-like than pigeon, but we'll give the artist that. And of course, if you can see the body of Jesus in the water, we know that that's what he would have likely looked like on the cross. And so over that great abyss of darkness, over death and over all of the fathomless things that had separated humanity from God, Jesus hovers over with spirit and water and birds and broods and calls forth life, even from death, from the tohu and the bohu hovering over the abyss, hovering over cosmic darkness and causing resurrection life to flood through everywhere. And if we turn real quick, we hit Acts chapter 19, which is such a quirky little story about a community of people who had heard John's message, who had, for some reason, found themselves also by the River Jordan being baptized by John, the wild man, They'd heard the message of John to turn their face back to the one who was always facing them in the first place. And they had repented and been baptized. And then for whatever reason, and it doesn't say where they came from or anything, we find them in Ephesus, which is 1,700 kilometers away from the River Jordan. I don't know if they were native to Ephesus and heard about the wild man John and traveled that distance to be baptized. I don't know if they were locals to the River Jordan who found themselves baptized and then for some reason moved to Ephesus. This is just like the unknown nature of this story. But here we find 12 people, 12 is enough for a synagogue to exist, gathered around John's baptism, the repentance of sins. They don't even know about Jesus, it appears. And they certainly haven't heard of the Spirit. And Paul, in his ministry, shares both with them. Shares Jesus, shares the Spirit. And that same breath that hovered over the darkness and that same pigeon that descended upon Jesus comes upon this little band of men who had the heart to turn their face back to God. And they experienced something a little bit more 
miraculous. The ability to speak in different languages and to prophesy over one another. And so threaded through these passages of scripture for today, we have water, we have spirit, we have birds, we have the spectacular and we have the ordinary. We have memories of our own baptism. We have memories of the way God has spoken to us. We have hopes and longings for how we'd like God to continue speaking to us. And so as we just finish, and we're going to come to the table in a little minute, but I want to give you just a few moments to reflect on a few questions that might just stir up for you a little bit more about what God might like to bring towards you this afternoon. These are the questions I thought of. Is there a part of you that is empty, confused, chaotic? Is there tohu bohu in you? Somewhere where you need to know that God is brooding over you to nurture forth life. If God was to speak to you today, if you were to have one of those experiences, if the heavens were to open, a pigeon was to descend and a voice was to boom out of heaven, what do you need the voice to say? Jesus needed to hear, this is my son. With him I'm well pleased. What do you need to hear? And the last thought I had was, are you having God pigeon moments (laughs) that you might be missing because they're unspectacular? The ordinary God, the common God, the awkward God, the pigeon God. I don't know if I can say that. (laughs) Who comes to us in ordinary ways. So I'm going to give you just a moment just to think about, perhaps think about one of those questions. Think about the one that sparks your imagination the most. And then I just want to invite invite us to just have a couple of moments of conversation perhaps before we come to the table where you might like to share with the people around you just two or three people if you don't want to share feel free to just sit with your eyes closed because that looks like you're being really like pious and good but it also is a signal to people that actually I don't want to it's okay not to share like you can stay just with you Um, but if you'd like to chat with the two or three people around you and just share together some of your own thoughts, some of your own answers to these questions. Let's do that for a little bit and then we'll come to the table to receive a fresh, different symbols of the life of God for us. Should we take a few minutes? Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central. Mm-hmm. <laughs>